America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. So just as I say, we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with a very serious topic. And I'll tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, there are many systems uh, in the justice system, but many systems of justice cause a divide in a nation. Why is there unequal justice for one, equal justice for another? And the abuse of discretion that is destroying the criminal justice system of America. We touch on that topic tonight. Hang on to your seats, folks. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clinton Stewart, and Dennis Merritt, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. As we deal with this system, uh, the many systems of the justice systems, and, and then how do we decide or deal with discretion within the criminal justice system? We are finding when discretion is in place uh, and you have folks that simply do not 
respect each other, whether it be because of a race, religion, background, whatever it might be, uh, abuse of discretion, David, comes into play. And we see that every day in this country where I can pick and choose who I want to pull over on the street, who I want to assault in county jail, who do I want to kill in prison as a, as a correctional officer, uh, it go, and how do, who, who do I do wrong from the bench? Judges from the benches of courtrooms in this country, uh, how important is that we go down this, this line of conversation? I think it's critically important. Uh, uh, the justice system is only good as the people that administer the system. We have a system based on procedures, uh, vague, laws, vague laws and broad discretion. And that the devil is in discretion. Many of the things, bad things that happen in the criminal justice system, it's based on the broad discretion given to police, prosecutors, and judges. Uh, and I think it's so important to talk about if Congress makes vague laws, which was the subject of Harvey Silverglaze's three felonies a day, where where each where a person can go out. Uh, to work by the time they come back home because of the overcriminalization of conduct and vague federal criminal laws, they could have committed three felonies uh, in a single day. And that's the reality of, 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 of our system. And then prosecutors who have broad discretion to charge whoever they want to can pretty much uh, crime shop and say, well, if I want to come after you, I can find a crime and put it on you because we have so many uh, crimes in this country. And we'll talk about uh, some of those issues, how uh, the amount of crimes uh, have exploded, uh, not only by Congress, but through some of, the, uh, through some of our uh, government institutions. The amount of thing, conduct that has criminalized this country is absolutely outrageous. It's responsible for mass incarceration and and. By and large, the discretion given prosecutors, uh, police, and judges have just brought this system to a place where, where it shouldn't be. It's responsible, like I said, for mass incarceration and many other injustices. At the end of the day and in our discussion over the next few weeks, you'll find out that our system is set up more to produce injustice than it is to produce justice, and it's implicit in the way the system is set up. No, without question, and those are things that you have to, you have to come to grips with. If I go before a judge, uh, if he simply is a racist, they hide behind robes every day in this country and in courtrooms all over the country. And again, this is not all judges, but the judges that hide behind the robes, I said this a week ago, the KKK were known for hoods and sheets that they wore over their heads as they uh, really brought havoc to African-Americans all across the country, especially down south. Uh, they just, it's a different look. But the racism and the dis disparity that's happening within the criminal justice system, uh, that's a problem. One in three blacks, one in three, is predicted to be in prison during their lifetime. One in three. That is outrageous. Why, why is that number what it is? Well, this is why the number is what it is. Police have the discretion yes. to pull over black people. Mm -hmm. And prosecutors can charge whoever they want. They have absolute discretion to charge. They can let this person go. They can charge this one. They can determine which crime they're going to charge them with. 
And then judges, when it comes to sentencing, when you have all the sentencing issues in the country, they have the broad discretion to sentence within the guidelines. Uh, the guidelines and some of the guidelines are very, very broad. And so with that discretion, they have all power to do whatever they want to do with you, and there are very, very few legal checks to stop them. Well, I'll tell you this. These are the things that uh, we, we, we keep asking ourselves the question, why is the problem in this country what it is among African-Americans and communities? I mean, in minorities. Why is it such a disparity? Why? Uh, David just answered that. Discretion. But what we're finding is the abuse of this discretion. We were talking prior to the show, Sandra uh, Bland, I believe it, it was, that was a discretional uh, move by an officer who said she didn't put the turning signal on when she switched lanes. Uh, well, guess what? I promise you if that was a white uh, middle-aged man uh, in a suit coming from work, I guarantee you there's no pullover. And if there is a pullover, I guarantee he's not going to jail. I guarantee he's not being dragged out of his car, thrown on the ground, and severely hurt. That is the abuse of discretion. That is what we have to deal with tonight. That is very broad. It's very big. Uh, but it is a major issue. If you want to know what the problem is, uh, we know what the problem is. In part, the abuse of discretion, the many systems of the justice system. How do I determine whether I'm going to sentence somebody to 100 years or to five? Abuse of discretion. We're going to deal with that. Demetrius will get you on the other side of the break. Kendrick, your comment, Samson, as well. Ladies and gentlemen, tune in tonight. This is going to be a humdinger, if you will, that we are going to really pull the, the curtain back. And I want to announce this. Uh, every week on this show going forward, we will be doing a special segment of honoring the heroes of the badge, the officers and policemen and women across this country that are doing things to help save lives and that are doing heroic acts uh, as they wear the badge, those that honor the badge. It is called the new segment, Honoring the Heroes of the Badge. We're going to get into that segment on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. People are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation costs less and can turn lives around. It's time to fear justice. It's time to smart justice. And we need your help. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or 
at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation You can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call or just calls today. 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I wanted to be in the military since I was a a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. you got to find that link with somebody, it'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, but you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. History is important because it shows where you're coming from and where you're going. Type 2 diabetes is something that runs in my family, which means I'm at risk. In fact, one in three American adults are at risk for developing type 2 diabetes. And knowing this, if I do nothing, that family history becomes my family's future. And my family is too important to me for that. Take the risk factor assessment today at AskGreenNo.com.
You can't sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. So gross. Loser. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, where we deal with the abuse of discretion and the many faces within a system uh, that has caused major division uh, in this country. Uh, why is why are the divisions there? Why is the discretion that is given many times to those in law enforcement, as well as officers of the court, all the way up to the judgeship? Why is the discretion abused at the level where many times you have unequal justice? You have folks that are given this thing. Other people are given this lighter sentence. If I like you, if the way you look when you come in the courtroom, we're going to go easy on you. Uh, But an African-American steps in, uh, maybe not with the look that a judge approves of, and he decides to throw the book at him. Uh, Whether you believe that or not, that is the reality. Uh, in which we live, what causes an officer to pull over someone versus another uh, and to act in an abusive and violent way. Uh, we're going to be dealing with that right now. Uh, we're going to get into that. That is our topic of our show tonight, uh, and we have definitely a lot to do. But right now, our very special segment that we decided to do on this show, this will be every week on AJC Radio, and it is called Honoring Those Heroes of the Badge. To take a moment out of our day and out of our show to say, look, to the officers that wear the badge and that honor it every week, that put their lives on the line and do random acts of kindness, I don't believe enough of those stories are actually told. Our first story goes to an officer, Joshua Scaglione, in Michigan. City of, uh, city of Westland Police Department, Westland, Michigan. Westland, uh, Michigan, uh, and Westland Police Department. Yeah. Uh, did something that we don't hear about too much on, on, the, on the mainstream media, but we're going to tell it here on AJC Radio. Uh, a 20-year-old dad was stopped and pulled over by Officer Scaglione, uh, and when he got out of the car, uh, the young man had a three, his three-year-old son on the back seat, but he wasn't in a car seat. Uh, the officer asked the gentleman to step out of the car. At that point, he became nervous, and he thought, man, this is not going to be good. Well, as he began to talk to the officer, he told the officer, man, I, I couldn't afford a car seat for my son. Uh, rough times, the pandemic, these things that are going on, I don't have the money to get a car seat for my son. Surely he, he didn't know where that was going to go. Does it look like he's a negligent father? Uh, he's a single dad raising his son. The officer told him to follow him to Walmart. 
where the officer proceeded into the store and purchased a car seat for the gentleman and did not cite or give him a ticket. Uh, that's an act of kindness that touched this man. And as David, you shared the story, the gentleman teared up. Uh, these, are, these are the good stories that officers are doing. He didn't have to do that. Uh, but to go out of his way and say, look, look, I understand what you're going through. Uh, that is the vision of police officers that we would like to see. Well, and another point to that story is they went in the store together and were shopping together in the store. This is an African-American mm-hmm. along with this. It looks like a, a obviously Caucasian top, Italian-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in there shopping together and they were getting to know each other while he was actually buying the car seat. So very, uh, very interesting and to Officer Scaglioli, we say thank you for your service, for your act of kindness uh, to uh, to that gentleman. That's a, that's a heartwarming story. Uh, we learned today that a grocery store cashier in Atlanta area was killed and three other people were wounded Monday in a shooting that followed an argument over wearing face masks in the supermarket, authorities said. Uh, the Caleb County Sheriff Melody Madoc said the shooting occurred inside the Big Bear supermarket in Decatur while several people were inside the business. She said a female cashier was killed when a man opened fire. There was some confrontation argument. I'm not sure exactly what in reference to the wearing of masks, at which time the subject pulled out a weapon and shot the cashier. Maddox said at a news conference, Maddox said she did not know the details of the argument. The customer was identified as Victor Lee Tucker, Jr., 30, of Palomino, Georgia, according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. The agency said preliminary information indicates that Tucker got into an argument with the cashier and left the store without making his purchase, but he immediately returned inside. Tucker walked directly back to the cashier, pulled out a handgun, and shot her, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation wrote in the news release. A reserve deputy by the name of Danny Jordan um, uh, uh, was employed part-time for the security with the store, exchanged fire with the suspect, and both were wounded, the sheriff said. Uh, In this case, we want to give a shout out to Danny Jordan, who was severely injured, and he was a a reserve deputy, uh, tried his best to help this woman that was getting shot. Uh, He ultimately put himself in harm's way uh, to protect this lady. And to that deputy, we say thank you for your service and for you honoring the badge. You truly are a hero. Both of these officers, Officer Officer, uh, Scaglione, as well as uh, uh, Danny Jordan, we salute you tonight. And thank you for your service. Uh, Samson, your thoughts on these two officers? Well, I mean, you, you hear the stories, you know, Officer Scaglione, Officer Jordan. I mean, like you hear these guys, they're putting the humanity in, back into being a police officer. They're actually going out and serving their community. They're serving, you know, the people that they're around every single day, whether it's showing that, you know, even though you wear a badge, even though you're on different, a different side of, you know, uh, an encounter – you can still show that humanity and, and compassion, you know, hey, let's go to Walmart. Let's let me help you protect your family. Awesome. You know, let me help you do this. And then, you know, with the other officer, hey, let me put my life on the line because, yeah, some of the, some other people died and were injured. But the fact is there may have been other people in that store. He's willing to put himself out there to stop this person from, you know, harming his fellow citizens, the people that he's, you know, he puts on the badge and uniform every day to actually protect and serve. Like these are the type of people that we need influencing our law enforcement all around the country. And that's awesome. So to a very special thank you, ladies and gentlemen, join us every week. Uh, We will start our show uh, honoring the heroes of the badge segment. 
as we say, a very special special thank you to law enforcement uh, and what they're doing. We say thank you to that tonight. Okay, as now we get into the topic of this show, um, discretion. Where does discretion come from? Why is discretion necessary? Um, in a perfect system, in a system where humanity is considered, discretion is needed. When there's abuse of discretion in a system that is already biased or prejudiced or racist, whatever you call it, discretion can be a, a deadly weapon uh, in the destruction of people's lives. David, we had, had talked about this um, and we're going to get into this. That is the that is the key problem to our criminal justice system. It really is. Um, discretion is not discretion alone, uh, but too much discretion by these have been given to judges, prosecutors, and police. And when you have that sort of power, and take for instance judges and prosecutors, absolute power, absolute immunity. What is that a recipe for? You just don't, you can pretty much do whatever you want and there's very little accountability. And then you have vague laws and broad discretion. Let me ask you something. And this goes to the RP5 who are host of this show. And I'm going to go around with David. I want to start with you. Uh, Federal Judge Christine Arguello, uh, a lady that I'll tell you, you talk about an abuse of discretion, uh, a clear bias judge that in in the case of the IRP5 uh, had a God complex that she could do whatever she wanted to do and no one was going to touch her. It is crystal clear of the innocence of the IRP5 that has been from day one. It is crystal clear when they walked into a courtroom in a federal court system that these men were innocent, no crime had ever been committed, and the judge knew exactly that. Discretion, David, and to the to our guys here at this table, is an expert witness was set to testify in this case of the IRP-5. The judge used discretion and said he his testimony could not be heard. That is an abuse of this discretion. That discretion being used there had the jury heard from that expert witness as clear and the type of expert that he was. There's a great possibility the RP5 never go to prison. It's true. Um, but what you got to understand is the, the appellate court, the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, challenged her or heard abuse of discretion arguments. And they supported her. Of course, her abuse. Yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't abuse of discretion uh, claiming that uh, the judge in many – and we'll get into uh, some, some of the actual things she said in the, in the opinion later, uh, the Tenth Circuit, and how they justified her not allowing our witness to testify, saying, well, one witness had already testified, uh, Judge Arguello uh, – thought it would be cumulative, which is a, another term that they use. Now, we just watched the Derek Chauvin trial. How many expert witnesses did Derek, did the judge allow in Derek Chauvin's trial? More than one. Um, more than one. And 
both of those experts had different perspectives. And in Andrew Alberelli's letter, the expert, uh, he had a different position. Uh, not only a different position, he had a different role. He actually owned the staffing company. The other gentleman was related to us and tied closely to us. She allowed him to testify, but wouldn't let an independent expert testify who wasn't related to one of the executives in the company. But there, there, there you go. She had the discretion and she abused it. And we couldn't put on a witness that would that would uh, provide favorable testimony against the government and, uh, quite frankly, would have destroyed the government's case. As a result, we lose the case. And then she has the audacity to sentence, sentence us to 7 to 11 years in prison. And if you look at some of her other cases with white executives, she didn't do the same thing. And we'll talk about that later as well. It's, exactly. But if, if the appellate courts are going to hold up these types of things they're always going to protect their own and and protect that and and they they mentioned in in, in their opinion they use the term broad discretion or uh she had the discretion and all this other type stuff this is where uh a lot of defendants are being destroyed by the discretion of both the judges at the by the prosecutor judges at the trial court level and the appellate court level well and the the abuse is from from the arrest on up all the way to the appellate court, the state Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. The abuse is on is at every single level uh, of law enforcement uh, and, again, the court system as well as police officers. Uh, we talk about that a lot. Uh, what makes an officer, a deputy sheriff in county jail, beat a man to death, do not give him medical care in county jail? What makes that deputy pick that particular inmate out? Discretion. He can do whatever he wants. And if you look like you're a little darker than the others, you look to be a big guy, black guy, and that's what happened in, in one of the cases uh, that we've played on this show before, which I'm going to play again. You just kill a man. For what reason? And it's always running down the lines. I, I saw a video yesterday uh, on TikTok that troubled me in a way I can't explain. They have a 17-year-old boy, six cops, and he's on the ground with a bag over his head that they put over his head. And they said, uh, he said, why am I being arrested? That was the only question he asked. And you know what a lunging knee kick is, right? Mm -hmm. That's what that officer did about six times until that 17-year-old boy was unconscious. For what reason? What explanation do you have for that? You pick and choose. The kid asks one question. Why am I being arrested? He has a right to ask that. And you got all these officers holding this kid down. You can tell he can't breathe because he has a bag on his head. And the guy, other cop comes in with a lunging knee kick to his ribs and would not stop. Not one officer did anything. All those officers sat back and let him do that to them. This is a minor. Do you understand that? This is what we call an outcome of the discretion and the abuse of that discretion. Because I can pick and choose if I want to knee you to death. Derek Chauvin chose 
by choice to kill George Floyd. That was a choice. He could have easily used discretion and said, you know what? This is a counterfeit $20 bill they've accused this man of. Man, here's a ticket appearing court on it, man. Have a good day. His choice of discretion got worse and worse. George Floyd is sitting outside the store on the concrete, up against the wall, no issue. Talking, he's cooperating. There was no need for any further discretion. He was cooperating. Why did you have to take him back? You tried to put his put him in the back of the car. He's claustrophobic. He's telling the officer, man, please, I can't breathe. He started telling the officer, man, man, please don't put me back here. Another act of discretion. He could have easily pulled George Floyd out that car, set him down, asked a question. But he chose to put this man on the ground, and he killed him. So many steps here. Several steps to do the right thing, to use discretion in a good way. They chose not to do that. And they took this man's life. Dave. And one of the problems with discretion is bias. Bias affects the discretion because when you have somebody that's biased against African-Americans or biased against the poor, they're going to use the discretion against them. And look at our case. In our case, people said when they read the transcript, they said they could tell that Judge Arguello really hated you. So she used her discretion against us where she could have used it in a positive aspect. When you look at Chauvin, Chauvin had a bias against African-Americans, obviously. So he used it against George Floyd. So when you have bias affecting your discretion, discretion is always going to be used in a negative way. Clint, your thoughts? Yeah, I'd like to pick up on what Dave was talking about uh, with the hate. You know, you, you mentioned bias. When you're in the presence of that situation as a, as a witness, as a person that's there, uh, and you feel the spirit that that action is being conducted with, you can feel the hate coming off of these individuals. Uh, so, you know, we may call it bias. We may call it discretion. But the, but the true sense of it is hate. If you didn't hate me, you wouldn't kill me. If you didn't hate this boy, this 17-year-old, you wouldn't continue to lunge a knee kick. That takes hate. You must hate that individual to hurt him and talk about discretion. What about breaking the law? What, what part of these acts uh, is, there, is there a law? You know, there's a law against murder. There's a law against uh, battery and assault. These are laws that are being broken. We want to call it uh, uh, discretion or bias. It's hate and breaking the law. And that's, that's what drives these acts. Well, you got to think about one thing with discretion. Um, they have – discretion comes in, and if you look up the actual definition, it says the power or right to decide or act according to one's own judgment, freedom of judgment, or choice. So these people are exercising discretion. Now, they're looking at a situation and saying, I have the ability – I have the discretion to arrest you or I have the discretion to just give you a ticket in the case of Derek Chauvin and tell him to show up for a counterfeit $20 bill if, in fact, he determined it was a counterfeit $20 bill. So at that time, he says, well, I'm going to exercise discretion. I'm going to 
I'm going to try to arrest you. I'm going to put you in the back of a police car. Then I'm going to take you to the ground. Even when my training says I'm supposed to turn you over to the side, I'm still going to leave you. So each time, he's, and then he's saying he's exercising judgment that this guy is dangerous. So based on my view that this guy is, there, is dangerous, this big black man is so dangerous, I'm going to put my knee on his neck. So he's going to say, I felt threatened. So at that point, then it says, well, if the officer feels threatened, he can exercise judgment and discretion on how he's going to handle that particular issue. What ends up happening, he uh, he goes overboard and ends up killing George Floyd in the exercise of discretion when he could have gave him a ticket. So the exercise, the abuse of discretion led ultimately to the breaking of the law and then the uh, the death of George Floyd. Which, as you can know, the same thing happened in our case, except ours ended in, in imprisonment. An imprisonment for eight years for a crime that was never committed. Eight years of being separated from your family. Eight years of Christmases, holidays. And David, in your case, to go through the death of your sister. This is inexcusable. It is not a simple act of, well, we just did this. The lives affected, the tears that were shed, is inexcusable. And that came out the discretion of the warden. Of the warden. You have David Banks, a model inmate. You have a facade, a persona of fairness at your website to say that if there's an emergency, we will let you go home. Not in the case of David Banks with the death of Lawana Banks Clark. And bear in mind, the regulation gave the ju- gave the warden discretion to give you up to 30 days at his discretion. At his discretion. So, um, and we'll talk some more about that, how the courts have given broad discretion to the wardens and all this other type of stuff and deference to them to do whatever they want to do. It, it, it has to change because of the abuse that is enacted in these situations. The abuse that has happened here by Federal Judge Arguello, not only in the case of the RP5, in the frivolous habeas proceeding that took place in her court. Yep. And the attack of a Christian institution, discretion and abuse of that discretion is inexcusable and should not be tolerated. And penalties should be in place. William. You know, along those lines, because even as David was talking, I was thinking about when we talked to um, one of the jurors. And they had said in our RFP case, he said, we were wondering, where's the defense? And I thought about that. The, the discretion of the judge allowed the case to go in the direction that she wanted. It didn't allow proper defense with the removal of the expert witness, of omission of evidence. There was numerous times where they debunked theories that the, uh, the state had put together, you know, in, in the case. I mean, everything. And you, but you, when you see it, 
that was the way she steered it in the direction, using her discretion, her bias, to the outcome that well, she wanted. Well, there has to be change to that. It has. It has to be. Days of Polo. And talking about David's situation, where they wouldn't let him go home for the funeral for his sister. David is African American. There was a white inmate at the prison that the warden allowed go home on a social right. furlough. David wanted to go home to grieve with his family, and he couldn't do it, but a social furlough to go and enjoy time with your family. Yeah. It, it's just ridiculous. You have, again, it's the discretion is, I'm not going to do it for this one, but I'm going to do it for that one. And you give someone a social visit, but you refuse a man who has lost his sister while incarcerated wrongfully, who came to visit him on a weekly basis. Can someone explain that to me? And why a warden would move, you know why? It goes back to what Clint said. It is motivated by sincere and total hate. If you abuse discretion, you abuse it. This man's life was affected. He is uh, out today, but he comes out to an empty chair of his sister because of the abuse of discretion. Something should be done about it. Samson. So discretion is basically, I mean, it's the test of the, of the humanity of the person that actually owns it. And when bias is there, there is no humanity. Like Clint said, it, is, it goes back to just basic evil. If you have bias in your heart and you have discretion in your hand, you're not going to you're not going to behave humanely. And look at the officers that we honored at the top of the show, though. They had the discretion of what to do, and they acted humanely. They showed an open heart. They showed kindness and everything else like that. Now we're talking about a federal judge. There's, I mean, we're, I got an article right here up that says, you know, it was a it was a survey done just last year. They said any judge that doesn't believe that systemic racism and implicit bias exists doesn't deserve to sit on the bench. Bottom line, this is a college survey of judges. You know, and so the people that are given this this power to basically decide human life at their own discretion, they need to handle it with such care because of everything. I mean, we're here in just one case that hits us all personally. You know, our brother here that he did, did not get to come home, you know, to mourn his sister, regardless of how much time he had been or how much time he had left. If there's a rule in place, if it applies to one, it should apply to all. No, no, absolutely right. And I'll tell you this. Um, the abuse of discretion cannot be in the justice system. Discretion cannot be given to people who have proven to err in judgment. They're doing it every day. And so keep in mind, this show was birthed out of the fact I listened to uh, I try to listen to a little bit of all the news stations. But I heard uh, conservative talk radio, not only Tucker Carlson was talking about it on Fox News, but a guy named Dan Bongino was talking about he's he's a conservative uh, radio talk show host. And he he was complaining about two systems of justice, one for that. the He was complaining that the Capitol riot on January 6th, those people were being treated and pursued harshly by the Justice Department when the people in Portland, who were actually there burning down a federal uh, uh, courthouse or whatever, were being let go. 
and now all of a sudden there's two systems of justice. And what it has always been, there's right. many systems of justice, poor, black, uh, uh, white, rich. There's a class, all these systems, different systems of justice. And so they're able to recognize two systems of justice uh, when it's an issue that they believe or don't believe in. But if you look at uh, the prosecutorial discretion, and and he can go after whoever he wants to go after. So I'm going to leave these people in Portland alone. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to open up a can on the uh, the January 6th rioters because I have the discretion to do so. I'm going to let these people go, and then you get an unfair application uh, of the law. And this is this and on the equal uh, justice. Let's go back, David. I want to go back to the warden situation in in the Florence, Colorado. Uh, the prison out there that you guys were in. Uh, and David, you were 45 minutes from home. Right. Uh, you didn't ask for 30 days. No, I asked for, I think it was six, six, days, six, days. six days. He's 45 minutes. Think of this really carefully. He's, he's not at a high security institution. In fact, we're at a camp. A camp. You can walk off if you chose to. And some people have walked off and left. Some of them got caught. Some of them didn't get caught. But you, so it's not like you're in this, this, this high value inmate or uh, this violent guy that's supposed to be going. In fact, we didn't commit a crime. We just were wrongly convicted. But if we had committed a crime, it was nonviolent. No and, and for a reason, yeah. we were sent to minimum security camp. Well, and to, to be 45 minutes away, to say goodbye, but keep him keep with this in mind. They are there during that time. They allow inmates to go work into the community eight hours a day, and you five ask, days a week, and and, and, and they're unsupervised well, by VOP staff. And it's not unreasonable to want those days because you have a funeral. Your family is grieving. Your sister has been suddenly taken, passes suddenly. Who he? David, of course, was very close to 45 minutes. And remember, Mont, uh, another thing, the warden, talk about discretion in regards to choice. He calls the assistant. Why are you calling the assistant USA, uh, 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 assistant U.S. attorney? To ask and permission. Ask permission. That's, that's not in BOP regulations or nothing. But he says out of his mouth, this crooked Matthew Kirsch, that says no. His sister has just passed away, and you're giving out furloughs to white individuals. This, this is the problem we have with our justice system. Uh, again, Christine Arguello, when we were getting sentenced, when I was sentenced, said, your life, Mr. Harper, is in my hands. I responded to her, woman, your, my life is in God's hands. It's not, but she had the God complex that you talked about. They have this, I'm going to control. You're, you, if, if he, she told Dave Zerpolo, if you weren't with these guys. You wouldn't These be convicted. Blacks. These blacks. Again, all this is in the court of so-called law, and you expect us to honor that? Yeah, that, gotta, that corruption? You've got to look at the damage it did to our case before the jury. Now, talking about discretion, there were several times, and you all remember, that we presented evidence. Now, we're, we're presenting evidence to the jury. Once we say to the court, we'd like to submit this as evidence, she would deny she it. Denied. That's right. Now, what that means in the end is when the jury goes to deliberate, that's one less piece of physical evidence they have in the hands of the reference. So you wonder, like, 
this discretion is so broad that how come our case, if it had been tried in New York, Miami, L.A., would have never made it to court. It would have been right. thrown out right at the top. But in Colorado, when you look at the business that's being run, it's a predominantly white community out here, and then you here comes uh, uh, five, five black right. executives, and right. you say, well, this warrants going to trial. That's what the discretion problem is. It's like, so if you say there's a federal law, well, then how come it's applied differently if I'm depending on what region of the country I'm in? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I want to go back to Matthew Kirsch. Uh, he is the AUSA right. for the government. It is completely out of line. Matthew Kirsch no longer, from the time that exactly. David and the RP5 were sentenced, they no longer have jurisdiction. Period. You are now under the jurisdiction of the Bureau of Prisons, the United States. Those are the people where jurisdiction sits. Why the call to the prosecutor no. in the case to ask, what do you think about David Banks going home to bury his sister? And, th and think about it. This is six, seven years later right. from our trial. You right. don't have other cases? There's no to, jurisdiction. Yeah, there's, but you don't have other cases you're worried right. about? You're but, worried about David Banks going going home? As right. in a sudden death, look, there are certain things that are lines that should never be crossed. The death of a loved one is one of them. But they're all on the same team. Right. And until you go through this, Americans are naive about the system. They just, they're uh, enamored with the concept of justice and enamored and almost idolized judges and prosecutors as defenders of justice. But until you go through this system, you have no clue of what no this idea. system is about. And all the stuff you're being told, that's not the reality of the system. Not the reality. It's only the, you're only as good as the people in the system. Are there some good people in the system? Yes. But I would say those people are, are, are in, the, in the minority versus the majority from well, what we've seen. Well, the Bureau of Prisons was notified in regards to the action taken by this judge, not the judge, excuse me, taken by this warden, who he is answerable to. Not one person in authority at the Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C., in the regional offices in Kansas City, Missouri, not one person stepped up to say he has no right to do this because David Banks met all criteria in order to be granted a furlough to bury his sister. There was nothing, in, and we explained that. As an advocacy organization, not one item that they said that had to be filled to qualify did David Banks miss. He qualified for every point, and he still was denied the right for a furlough to bury his sister. And it's because... He can do it. I have the discretion to yes. approve you or deny you, so I'm going to deny you. And that's, that's unacceptable. That's yes, unacceptable. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be right back. Uh, feel free to dial into the show, 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. Serious topic here, the abuse of discretion, the many systems of justice within the criminal justice system of America is failing miserably. 
And what we've done tonight is touch on a very small piece. We want to continue that conversation on the other side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We know you care. Now is time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18, a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, um, when you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums, are more likely about 13, to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city, now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. You just have a felony conviction for possession. What do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need a place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like they, there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we 
know we could do, because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options, many people make a decision to go back into that world of, of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, what's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in, in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, they're 29, 39, 49, 59, they're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. Nor It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration, this convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where it should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. including the tragic deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, have brought these numbers back into the national spotlight. Alongside careful work from other scholars, journalists, and activists, these estimates of racial disparities and police violence are now being used to motivate the need for significant structural changes in how we go about policing communities. Defund the police initiatives and proposals for reparations, that call for the redistribution of resources into the investments in black communities may offer a path forward toward durable change. As lawmakers and communities work through what reinvestment in black communities entails, it is important to take stock of other institutions of oppression that impact the black community. For example, we must consider the critical warning 
by Dorothy Roberts, professor of law and sociology at the University of Pennsylvania, that we must not render the defunding of police into increased investment in child welfare agencies that have historically surveilled and violently separated black families. So what we find is the demographics of racial inequality in the United States is the topic of discussion now. And it goes to, to the very heart of this conversation uh, that we're having tonight. Dennis, you came across an article uh, which speaks specifically to uh, this discussion. Why don't you go, share, go ahead and share that with our listeners? Yes, and uh, this is from the uh, Sentencing Project. It's a nonprofit organization that resource, uh, researches and lobbies for fairness in the American criminal justice system. So what they did was they did a study in 2015, and one of the cases, it shows where it says, and this is the, the, the title of it, it says, same crime, same courtroom, same judge, same day, different results. And this was in Florida, where a white individual, they both have been uh, charged with uh, armed robbery, and the white individual received two years in county jail, the black individual received 26 years in prison. Discretion. Totally discretion. And it's an abuse of discretion as well. Same judge, same court. And David, I'm going to get to you to share that. I want to bring our very, very special guest in right now. Um, and then uh, we're going to continue the discussion. We're going to get him included. We're honored to have him tonight, Lewis Reed. Uh, he's the Senior Director of Membership and Partnerships uh, for the Reform Alliance. He brings to the, to the Reform Alliance years of experience in government, criminal justice expertise, advocacy, public health, personal impact, serving nearly 14 years in federal prison and several years on supervision. Uh, Mr. Reed, are you with us? I am here. Thank you so very much for having me on. I really do appreciate you. You know, Mr. Reed, thank you so much for taking time. We're honored to have you tonight on our show uh, to get into this dialogue and this discussion that we're having on the really the many systems of justice in our criminal justice system, the unequal justice that we feel that we suffer in this country, uh, and the really the unequal justice that's happening uh, within our system. I'd like to, I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far, but please introduce yourself to our guests and give us your thoughts on this conversation that we're having right now. Well, look, my name is Louis L. Reed. Uh, as introduced, uh, I am the Senior Director of uh, part Memberships and Partnerships for the Reform Alliance, co-founded by Jay-Z uh, and Meek Mill. Uh, and our focus is explicitly around probation and parole reform. Uh, and additionally, as introduced, I served nearly 14 years in federal prison. But I, I, I just want to, you know, immediately kind of like jump in the deep end of something that you said. Uh, you talked about like how we feel as though. Uh, we meaning, you know, people of color, black, brown, and or poor white, but for the context uh, of the, the all intents and purposes for this conversation, um, I, I would keep my uh, comments specifically on the black, black community. Uh, you said that we feel as though that we've been disenfranchised. We feel as though that we have, um, you know, essentially gotten a short end of the stick. My grandma used to say there's a difference between facts and feelings. These are all facts. You know, yes. it's, 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 it's a fact that one out of every three black men, um, out of one out of every three black men in the United States of America will encounter some form of brush um, and or encounter with the criminal legal system. It's a fact that we are statistically more likely to be killed 
uh, and or uh, and or racially profiled when we are stopped by the police than our white counterparts. It is a fact that there is a visceral reaction, uh, similarly to what I call the new PTSD, uh, prison traumatic stress disorder, uh, and or police traumatic stress disorder, I should say the newer PTSD, um, we have a very visceral reaction every time we have even the most incidental contact with law enforcement. Uh, and so I just want to you know, ground my comments in, 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 in the notion that what we experience as Black people in America, this is far from feeling, this is an actual fact. No, absolutely right. Good point uh, made on that, Mr. Reed. And uh, we do know that uh, uh, organizations such as yourselves are out here really trying to make a difference. I am familiar with some of the push by Jay-Z and, 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 and Meek Mills. Uh, it, it, we need everybody that has a platform. Uh, and in this case, you definitely have one. Uh, Jay-Z definitely has one. Meek Mills has one. Uh, to speak out against these type of disparities, uh, what are you saying in the country as far as the attitude of African-American communities? Uh, you know, are they outraged? Is there a feeling of outrage? Is there a feeling of optimism based upon what some of the work that you're doing, uh, what a just cause is attempting to do out here as well? Uh, what, what's the feeling of the tone in the country right now, in, in your opinion? Well, for, look, from my understanding, right, um, I, I and, and, you know, if, if I can take a, a temperature check, it depends on where you are. Um, mm -hmm. For folks who are disconnected from the issues, from you know upper middle class uh, America, right? Um, I don't think that they are as exasperated. I don't think that their feelings of you know having been uh, marginalized is as exacerbated as people who are directly connected to the issue. I'm certain mm -hmm. that if I walk down Stratford Avenue in Bridgeport, Connecticut, or if I walk down Crenshaw Boulevard, or if I you know walk down Martin Luther King uh, Drive in in, in Chicago. Uh, I'm certain that the feeling, the, the temperature there is going to be absolutely far much more spiked uh, in those communities than it's going to be, uh, for instance, in Greenwich, Connecticut, where you have some well-to-do folks. And so, look, I am the, I'm the perpetual optimist. Um, I have literally been a part of campaigns where for every year that I was incarcerated, I have been a part of a campaign where I've either led and or supported advocacy, um, passing more than 14 bills since my release in the, in the five years um, that, I've, that I've been home uh, uh, from, from prison, including the Federal First Step Act that President Trump signed into law. So if you ask me where my level of enthusiasm is, um, I, 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 I would definitely say that it is, it is, it is higher than when it was when I was incarcerated, but I'm not so disillusioned as to where I don't understand that we don't have a much longer way to go. Um, and so I really think that the time is extremely critical for us, not just as black folks in this country, not just as brown folks but for in, in this country, but even as poor white folks in this country to be able to come together, to coalesce and really rise up and demand what our truth is. And the truth of the matter is that we need to stop being uh, marginalized. We need to stop being disenfranchised and we need to really be empowered, not just in our communities, but also in the way that we show up uh, in this world. Oh, for sure. Uh, Mr. Reid also says here, uh, that uh, that uh, uh, you are Council of Criminal Justice trustee, Forbes Coaches Council member, Huffington Post contributor on prison traumatic stress disorder, has appeared on CNN, CBS last week, tonight with John Oliver, National Publications, Influential Leaders, and a 2021 Ebony Magazine Power 100 nomination. 
you have some uh you have a resume that that should be respected uh as what you are are doing out here and and to do that in the time uh since uh since leaving prison uh has to be respected uh has to be admired so for the work you do we very, we say a very special thank you for the work that you're involved with let me ask you a question real quick I, we were talking go I ahead go ahead mr reed yeah, I was just going to say I appreciate that, but I also want to, you know, highlight something as well. Um, I shouldn't be exceptionalized. You know, there is a wealth of genius behind our um, our prison walls uh, in anywhere that uh, in any four corners and everywhere in between in this country. There's a wealth of genius, and so just because you see the Louis L. Reeds of the world and you know you take those things off, um, I know people who can who who can out-preach me, who can out-speak me, who can uh, out-think me, who can out-create me, um, uh, who just hasn't had the opportunity to be on this particular platform uh, and, and demonstrate right. what their genius is. And so every time I come into spaces like this, I'm bringing the more than 2.2 million people who are currently incarcerated into these spaces and also the approximately uh, 6 million people who, are under current, uh, who currently are under supervision into these conversations as well. No, absolutely right. And uh, again, we appreciate what you have done. And, and there are the silent heroes, the unseen heroes of advocacy, many of them being behind the walls of, of prisons across this country. Uh, and, you know, the, the uh, perception is, well, what there's nothing good comes from behind prison walls. Uh, that's a culture that's been embedded in people across this nation. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, as far as what, what what you say, Mr. Reed, in regards to what you have seen and witnessed uh, of people behind the wall. I'm going to play a quick clip regarding uh, that black lives do matter, um, but uh, we're, in a, we're in a situation in this country where it's the question has been raised for a reason, and that is because the continual deaths of African Americans by the hand of law enforcement. I'm going to get your thoughts on this clip on the other side of it, okay? Copy. Let's play the clip. Hey everybody, um, I'm going to talk to you guys about this uh, incident right here that I, I, I've kind of fast forwarded through the part where the officers, and you guys have all heard this probably ad nauseum, you guys have probably seen this video ad nauseum, Alton Sterling, Baton Rouge, two white officers uh, make contact with Alton Sterling and are telling him to get on the ground. At no time do you hear these officers, uh, as they approach Mr. Sterling, telling him to drop a weapon. So obviously he has no weapon in his hand. And one of the officers decides that he's going to take him to the ground. Another officer gets on top of Mr. Sterling, um, is trying to wrestle one of his arms, grabs his gun, pulls it, sticks it up around his chest area, not the officers, but Mr. Alton Sterling's. And ends up pulling the trigger. At no time again, I want to remind everybody that not one officer had made a statement that you could hear stating for him to drop a weapon or to, uh, you know, stating that he has a gun in his hand or any kind of weapon in his hand whatsoever. Um, and then I'm, let's just watch it a little bit. And then I will take it from there. Oh, 
know, it appears from just the video alone that we can hear multiple shots by the officer to Mr. Alton Sterling. Um, I'm trying to refrain myself from really going off here, and I'm, I'm really trying. If I end up going off, please, please, don't hold it against me. But uh, Mr. John Bell Edwards announces Wednesday that the Department of Injustice will launch a federal investigation into the police shooting. Oh, just like they launched an investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah, but secret meetings, you know, blah, blah. You, you get what I'm saying. But here's, 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 here's where it stands, okay? The cops right here, they are trained to deal with situations, uh, hand-to-hand combats. They are trained to use their batons. They're trained to use stu- uh, stun guns, wh- whatever it is that they have in their arsenal to use against somebody to incapacitate them without pulling a gun and shooting them. In this instance, you have a white police officer. White, yes, he's white. So am I. So what? The thing is, is that you are going to use Mr. Alton Sterling's criminal background to diminish your own culpability, sir, you and your partner. Well, there you have it. Uh, Mr. Reed, your thoughts on that? And, that, you know, there were questions that I have as we talk about the use of discretion. Uh, there was a time that, that where, where tasers were used, pepper spray was used, all types of actions, as the, as the man, as the gentleman speaks to, that to de-escalate a situation. And times when they could have easily used the taser, why did they have to use a gun to kill somebody and empty a clip on people? That makes no sense to me. Your thoughts on that, Mr. Reed? Well, look, uh, you know, when I hear that exchange, when I hear Alton Sterling um, shot, it reminds me of Tamir Rice. It reminds me of Elijah McClain. It reminds me of Breonna Taylor. It reminds me of Sandra Bland. It reminds me of Ad Infinitum. This is a conversation that's absolutely despicable and it's disgusting. We should not be having a conversation about a black person killed by an officer or officers who took a duty to protect and serve our community. And so I, unapologetically, I'm getting a little choked up. Um, because Alton Sterling could have been me, or I could have been Alton Sterling. And I want to tell you a very brief story in about 17 seconds. Uh, Last year, uh, in October last year, uh, I was at a uh, a property uh, that I I own and and, and manage in Connecticut. And when I was at that particular property, uh, the police ended up showing up. And when the police showed up, they said that they were there under the guise of a a suspicious activity or suspicious call. Uh, Lo and behold, when I would not allow them to enter into the property at the time, um, they forced their way in, choke slammed me to the ground. Uh, And but by the grace of God, that could have been me. I could have been shot unarmed, unarmed uh, uh, in in, in my own property. And, And so we're. 
where 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 are we exempt? Um, are, are, are we are, are we are we where where can we be insulated from from the from the the the, the, the from police brutality? Right. We 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 can be shot while in our bed, i.e. Breonna Taylor. Uh, we can be choke slammed uh, when we are in our own property, i.e. Louis L. Reed. Um, we can be shot when you are outside playing with a with a, with a water gun, i.e. I mean, like, where can we be insulated from people who are supposed to protect and serve us? That is the question that is suspended in the air. And so, look, I agree with that that individual who's given that uh, that that commentary, especially on the point where they were going to use or and or they are going to use uh, this brother's criminal history to yep. essentially uh, 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 impeach his his character. Now, look, you know, I, I'm unapologetically Christian. And the one thing that I that I that I hold fast to is that my history is not my destiny. I wouldn't care if whether or not this individual had a, had a came out the womb uh, uh, stealing pacifiers that does not justify it does not justify and it does not give a license for white officers to kill a black man because he, uh, by virtue he is a threat due to the color of his skin it's, it is absolutely despicable and is absolutely deplorable no absolutely right uh, mr reed look we have a serious problem david as we were talking about the discretion and to for mr to mr reed's point this is his property. You want to come in, you're not allowed to come on my property because somebody says something is suspicious. Oh, we have a black man over here. That's suspicious, so maybe we need to call the cops on him. For Mr. Reed to be slammed for, in his own, at his own property, slammed to the ground, for what reason? An abuse of discretion. Right, and I think uh, uh, Mr. Reed brought up uh, Sandra Bland. And I think uh, what ends up happening, uh, like I said, mass incarceration wasn't happenstance. None of this stuff is happenstance. Uh, uh, prosecutors, police, judges, they've been given great power um, over that they can exercise over people's lives. Uh, in the case of Sandra Bland, and, and I think this is where uh, part of the problem is, seriously is, is these cops have the discretion to pull over whoever they want to pull over. They have discretion to come to your house and say, under the guise, like you said, of something suspicious, well, uh, we could have talked to Mr. Reed and asked him some questions. It wasn't anything suspicious going on. They could have left your house, but then they're going to hide behind the fact that uh, we were told something suspicious was going on, and, and now Mr. Reed, uh, in our view, is acting suspicious, so we're going to exercise discretion or so-called discretion to go ahead and force our way into his, to his house under the guise that we're going to try to stop something wrong from going on here. It happened to Sandra Bland. If it's, somebody, it's a turn signal is a ticket, uh, but instead she's, uh, the cop is going to use some sort of excuse and say, well, we had the discretion to do this because she was resisting or, or, or he said this, or he looked like he was doing this, and this is where it, it, it starts. And then these uh, these abuses of discretion always turn into, and probably intentionally, into violations of the law and of people's civil rights. And it's uh, as we're talking about today, it's difficult to 
find a way to when these cops are out here and they're claiming that they have the discretion to do this and we have the discretion to prosecute who we want to prosecute. And ironically, they just happen to be prosecuting more black people. They just happen to be killing more black people. And it's always under the guise of them exercising their discretion under the law based on some circumstances that they find uh, objectionable. And based on that, we're trying to figure out how do you stop these sorts of things from going south to the death of a black man or imprisonment of, of black people and, and, and others, uh, for that matter, based on these abuses of power and discretion. Look, I, 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 want, I just want, if, if, it's, if it's okay, I just want to jump in now. I want to tell you a very quick story. Last year uh, on uh, Memorial Day, when the world found out about the, 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 the live lynching of George Floyd, uh, I happened to be in a Walmart parking lot with my, with my nephew. Uh, and he was driving his car. Uh, he had just got his license, and I happened to be in the back seat, and he was driving his car. Uh, and, you know, I said, hey, I'm going to go get you a gift. And he's like, hey, Uncle, you want to get me some rims? And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to get you no rims. He's like, hey, you want, you want to get some beats in the car? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to get you a sister. I ain't going to upgrade your life right now, right? He said, what you going to get me? I said, I'm going to get you a dash cam. Yes. And this is prior to the news breaking about George Floyd. Um, I had no idea even what was going on at the time. Uh, and I told him I was going to get him a dash cam. He was like, what, what, why do I need a dash cam? Oh. I said, because you are 17 years old. You just got your license. You are in Connecticut. And I wouldn't care whether you were in Connecticut or anywhere in the country. But primarily, you are a black man, a very young black man, and a noticeably uh, 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 apparent black man. And so I want you... Number one, to be able to make it home, um, heaven forbid, if something happens. But if you can't make it home, we live in a space and time now where we have to preserve the record every time we have even the most incidental contact with yes. police, whether that is going to turn into criminal prosecution, where we are going to be the recipient of, and or if whether or not we may not walk away uh, with our lives. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, to the, to, uh, to the brother's point, I, I, you know, it's we should not have to go through a checklist of what are the 10 rules of survival when you encounter the police. White folks ain't having this conversation in Greenwich, Connecticut with their children. Uh, 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 they're not having these conversations in Malibu. They're not having these conversations in Beverly Hills. Why is it that we have to have these conversations with our nephews, with our sons, with our cousins, with, with each other about how do we survive uh, uh, an encounter, not necessarily with the police, Specifically, but with the criminal legal system in general. It's true. Exactly. No, oh, good point made, William. We were talking earlier regards to the uh, the unequal justice regarding the Stanford uh, story, the gentleman that uh, raped the young girl by dumpster. Um, tell us a little bit about that story, if you can recap that. Right. Um, the country was outraged. A lot of people were outraged. Uh, and the judge said, we don't want to destroy his life. <laughs> right. They, 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 you know, and it was, it was amazing because basically you highlighted it, but, but the man's name was Brock Turner. He was a Stanford student, he, you know, and they were talking about, he was a swimmer. He was white. Um, he was Olympic hopeful, all these great things like that. He was, conv he was convicted uh, for murder. He was charged actually 
Um, he had five charges, two for rape and two for fe- felony sexual assault and one for attempted rape. And so when they, they convicted him, but his conviction, his sentence was for, I'm going through my notes here, and I apologize, um, was for six months in jail. And so, but they released him early. Um, How much time did he do? He did, um, as I'm going through here, I apologize. Uh, yeah, like three months, and he had three years probation. For rape. For rape. And he left the young lady there to, I don't think she was going to die. No, no. But, she but he left her on the side of a dumpster? Yes. Yes. After raping her? Yes. He gets three months? He gets three months. Because they they did not want to destroy his And the judge made that statement, I yes. believe, at sentencing. Yes. But, he, but he, now, he, here's he, the other trick. Here's the other travesty to that. What you're describing is what I call black robes, white justice, right? Uh, But here's the other travesty to that. Where are the uh, crime victims, uh, the crime survivors groups that should be coming out in throng, you know, to protest a sentencing as such? Had that been, in my mind, had that have been a black man, uh, or a young black, uh, 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 you know, a high school basketball prospect, et cetera. And we, there would still be protests. There would still be tiki torches burning outside of the courtroom. There was st- they would be calling for an impeachment uh, 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 of the judge who sentenced him uh, to a term of probation. And, and, and so when we think about what this black robes, white justice actually looks like in the application uh, 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 of, or in the dispensation, I should say, uh, of so-called justice when it comes to black and brown folks in this country, we often find that it's just us. Absolutely right. And here's the thing. Um, like, like, like Mr. Reed speaks to, no type of groups coming out saying, look, this is unfair. Brian Banks, That's right. uh, a gentleman falsely accused of rape, mm-hmm. a, a a college NFL pro hopeful running back, linebacker. I believe. Well, I yeah. thought he played offensive defense. No, he was, he was a linebacker. He was, a linebacker. He, was, he was 16 years old. But the bad part about that is he didn't even rape anybody. No. Oh, he did six years. He gets out. He's on home confinement. Uh, and the girl kind of contacts him and says, look, right. hey, let's hook up. Yeah. So he says, this is my chance to show that I didn't do nothing. He goes there and records the conversation. She laughs at the fact, but no, Brian, uh, no, you didn't do nothing to me. You didn't rape me. You destroyed this man's life. A judge gives him, what, six years? I mean, he was originally, he was facing a possible 41 years to life. And he accepted a plea bargain. Which included five years in prison, five years probation, and registering as a sex offender yeah. at sixteen. And at when, sixteen years old. Well, and I saw the the justice that finally came for him, and how he broke down in tears at that at that table when they said mm-hmm. uh, they were removing the charges from him that he didn't do it and he was exonerated. Uh, but what he went through, what he lost. And again, at the discretion, uh, no real evidence here to support such a prosecution. But 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 you have the Stanford fella, clear. 
but see, it goes to it goes back to what what David said as far as there's there's white justice, there's rich justice. Now you just look at that. You got you got two kids that have promising futures. One is in the NFL, the other one here is an Olympic hopeful. One is in Stanford. Okay, that that says enough right there. And so he's able to go get legal representation, goes to the court. Well, you know, he let's just give him six months. He was he had five charges. But the victims. The victims. The rape victim who suffered behind. Yes. Laying naked by a trash dumpster where this man violated her. Yes. And do you know what the father's the boy's father said to the judge? Uh, he pleaded with the judge that if he got this sentence, he wouldn't be be able to eat steak. You gotta be kidding me right now. He couldn't eat steak. <laughs> but that's Mr. Reed. Let me get your thoughts on that one. Hey, look, uh, my, my grandmama used to say, when you don't got anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if this is a children's program, and, I, and I'm not trying to use my religion, so I'm just going, I'm just going to go ahead on and, and defer comments and defer comments. <laughs> uh, but, but look, I, I, I think that. You know, uh, we're, we're talking about this young man um, as it relates to, you know, the, the Stanford incident and Brian Banks, who is a personal friend of mine who I know, um, and just just an all around uh, sweet, sweet, sweet spirit. He did not allow what happened to him to allow him to for him to be bitter. Um, but I, I want to talk about I want to raise I want to raise two points. Uh, the first thing first thing is this. The, uh, the the government, whether it's federal and or state. They have a conviction rate that's approximately 98%. 98%. I want you to think about something. Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant, in his entire uh, legendary career in playing in the NBA, shot an average of about 48%. Michael Jordan, in my mind, who is the greatest basketball player to ever live, shot a shooting percentage at approximately 47%. Both of those individuals combined <laughs> do not uh, uh, don't have don't have a better uh, uh, a better uh, conviction uh, rate and or average than than the government. So the fix is in. In essence, the yeah. fix is in. And so when we walk into a courtroom, by virtue of not necessarily having adequate representation, by virtue of being black, by virtue of having probably depleted our financial resources just to get out. Uh, because when you look at the criminal legal system, you know, everybody's getting paid. The bail bondsman is getting paid. The attorney is getting paid. Uh, the prosecutor is getting paid. Uh, the commissary folks are getting paid. Everybody else is getting paid. And the only person who's walking away from that, from, from that instance uh, bankrupted is the defendant. And you are even going to be more impoverished if you happen to be black. And so when we walk into a situation from the time that we are arrested, we are supposed to be have the presumption of innocence until proven guilty. However, the caveat is if you are black in America, that notion of being guilty until uh, being innocent until proven guilty is far from the truth. You are absolutely guilty until you plead guilty and then you have to plead your innocence while you're serving your uh, term of uh, imprisonment. Yes, that's absolutely uh, a good point. Um, Samson, did you have something that? I mean, I just, I'm sitting here looking at it, you know, I mean, we talk about, you know, I've been listening to how 
we talk about the statistics that are just stacked up against, you know, any person of color in, in this, you know, in this nation that we say is a nation of of equality, a nation that's supposed to be a melting pot, a nation that's supposed to be like thriving with diversity. But the fact of the matter is, I mean, again, just going back to the numbers, that's that's one thing, again, in an article I was just reading that it says the numbers won't lie. People do. The numbers won't lie. The fact of the matter is for the exact same offense, black people are five, at least five times more likely since this the year, I think it was uh, 2016, to be more arrested. And the writer of the article wanted to applaud that because, oh, well, it's down from being 15 times more likely earlier in the 2000s. It's still wrong, the fact that if there's any disparity, if there's any discretion, if there's anything like out there where, again, like, like Dennis pointed out, if two people go up for the exact same crime, if there's anything else like that, they should get the exact same punishment. There shouldn't be, you know, all of my resources are going to go out there and you're going to get off because your skin is lighter than mine. And, and to the point about the Stanford kid, you know. I heard about it. there was a case where they, they suffer from affluenza. Really, you're too rich to know better. You're too rich to know. You're too rich for the law to apply to you. But they, the fact is, they they get away with this stuff. And there is so much disparity between, I mean, between socioeconomical groups, racial groups, whatever. Like it's out there. And the fact of the matter is, is like something has to be done about it. Who do we hold accountable? Your thoughts, Mr. Reed, on that. Um, yeah, affluenza. <laughs> that 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 that's the thing. Um, I I think that w- one of the things that we have to be doing uh, is we need to be uh, changing the narrative. And how can we stand our ground? How can we stand our ground in terms of being rooted in innocence? How can we stand our ground uh, when we say that hey, these charges are trumps? Uh, you know, I I I am actually innocent of what it is that I'm accused of. And I expect not only to, to have due process, um, uh, be, be, be my guide uh, uh, in, in, uh, in this particular uh, accusation, but also um, why can't I have a sense of equity when it comes to the, to the dispensation uh, of justice as well? You know, as, as you gentlemen were, were speaking, I was thinking about um, the, the, young, the young sister who unfortunately lost her life uh, several years back, uh, Latasha Harling. Uh, you know, she was a 15-year-old um, uh, 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 African-American uh, sister who was fatally shot by uh, uh, an, uh, a Korean uh, store merchant uh, out in out in California. And mm-hmm. the, the 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 merchant at the time uh, was sentenced to probation, even though she was convicted, even though she was convicted by a jury. I have never in my life. <laughs> I have never in my life actually heard, uh, you know, a, a judge essentially tossing out the 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 the, the recommendation uh, of the jury, going against the the the, recommend, the sentence recommendation of the prosecute uh, of of a prosecutor in order to sentence someone uh, uh, to probation. And so, look, you know what we experience. Right. You know, uh, you brought up the notion about influenza. What uh, affluenza, I should say, what we experience. Right. When 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 white people catch a cold and when white America catches the cold, black folks, we catch the flu. Uh, uh, and, and so I, I really think that we have to really like shift the narrative. I think that we have to stand our ground when it comes to 
um, you know, declaring our, our innocence. And I think that we also have to, uh, again, rise up as as leaders and really capitalize off of the moment that we are in and turn that into a movement. We can I, I really strongly believe that we can change uh, the tides of how we have been prosecuted, how we have been treated, how we've been stereotyped. Uh, and I, I really think that we are in a, a in a really a, a right opportunity to be able to do so. No, without question. Mr. Reed, how are you on time? We got to uh, we got our final segment coming back. Can you stay with us, or I want to be respectful of your time. I know you're on the East Coast. Yeah, well, look, um, I, I was I was booked for an hour, man, so if you need me to to, to stay on, uh, if you, you want to keep listening to me, I'm going to keep giving you what I got. Okay, what I'm going to do, Mr. Reed, out of respect of your time, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, uh, and I'm going to get your closing thoughts on how do we go forward, uh, and then I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your evening, as I'm sure you've had a, a tiresome day as most everybody has, uh, but we're going to definitely respect your time on that. I appreciate you so much for joining us. You've given a huge perspective uh, of, of this conversation. You've added to it greatly, so we appreciate that. We're going to take a quick break, come back, get your closing thoughts, and uh, we're going to continue to discuss this situation. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio, the many systems of justice dividing a nation is what we're talking about tonight, and the abuse of discretion. David has uh, David Banks has something he's going to go into here uh, regarding the abuse of discretion, uh, it's going to get good, folks. We're, we're against the clock shortly, but we're going to get in everything we can prior to that. Feel free to dial into the show, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We begin with a sentence handed out in a Texas court that has stunned the families of four people who were killed by a drunk driver six months ago. It was Father's Day weekend. A young woman with car trouble was stranded on the side of a road late at night. The mother and her daughter had no inkling their decision to be good Samaritans to help out the stranded motorist would prove fatal. Neither did the youth pastor who also stopped to help. But a teenager who'd been drinking heavily plowed into the group of people with his truck. That's the teen there. His lawyer didn't deny he was drunk when he mowed them down. They didn't contest any of the basic facts that the prosecutors presented. What they argued instead was surprising. Their defense, the 16-year-old who killed four innocent people, was a victim too, a victim of his family's wealth. They even gave it a name, affluenza. The judge agreed. The teen who faced up to 20 years behind bars got no prison time at all. Here's Randy Kay. He got drunk, then jumped behind the wheel of his pickup truck and plowed down four people in a drunken haze. So why isn't Ethan Couch behind bars? Keep in mind, he's just 16, too young to legally drive with any alcohol in his system. And in this case, his blood alcohol measured 0.24, three times the legal limit in Texas. Eric Boyle's wife and daughter were both killed. We had over 180 years of life taken future life, not 180 years lived, but 180 years of future life taken. And two of those were my wife and daughter. Investigators say surveillance tape shows Couch and his friends stealing beer from a Walmart store in June. Then they got drunk at a party. Leaving there, police say Couch gunned his pickup, going nearly 70 miles per hour in a 40. Just about 400 yards down the street, he slammed into Holly and Shelby Boyle, who had stopped to help Brianna Mitchell fix a flat tire. Youth pastor Brian Jennings was driving by and had also stopped to help. All of them were killed. 
Ethan Couch was charged with four counts of intoxication manslaughter and tried as a juvenile. In one of the most bizarre defense strategies we've ever heard of, attorneys for Couch blamed the boy's parents for his behavior that night, all because of how they raised him. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. We're broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. You can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we can walk it out. Move mountains, we can walk it out and move mountains. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio tonight. As the country, the African-American community, finds themselves in very serious territory and without question the time to rise up, uh, our very special guest, Lewis Reed, Director of Memberships and Partnerships at Reform Alliance, is doing just that. Uh, it is our position... It is our hope that the country has more people like Mr. Reed, like a just cause, that is committed to the fight, and that is to bring justice to this nation and have the discussions that in many times are uncomfortable to have. We have those conversations anyway as we seek for resolution and change. Mr. Reed, are you with us? I am still here. Thank you so very much for having me on. Very, very, very spirited discussion tonight. Thank you, sir. We feel the exact same way. Uh, we have a caller, I believe, in queue that, that wanted to make a comment thus far uh, to our caller. Are you with us? Yes, I am. Go ahead, please. You had a comment or a question? Yes. 
Hi, this is Karen Morrison. I'm very familiar with Lewis Reed. I just want to thank him for all the work that he's doing in this criminal justice space. And I think that the conversation is very informative as we continue to fight for justice for those who are wrongfully incarcerated and who have wrong, um, long and unjust sentences. So just thank you. I love what I'm hearing. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, being a part uh, of this show. We appreciate you as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. You have a good night. You too. Take care. All right, Mr. Reed. Um, how do we get from this point to point B? You said you are one of optimism, uh, one to believe <laughs> that we can uh, we can bring change to the situation that we're in. A lot of people uh, may be discouraged and they feel like, man, how do we ever pick up the pieces and go forward? I'd like your thoughts as we, again, are respectful of your time. I'd like your closing thoughts. How do we, where do we go from here, Mr. Reed? Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I believe that those closest to the problem are also closest to the solution, but often furthest from resources and power. We want you to be part of the, the help in order to be able to bridge that gap. When I say we, I'm talking about myself, our CEO, Robert Rooks, Jay-Z, Nick Mill, Mike Rubin, our board chair. We want you to be part of the Reform Alliance family. You might be asking yourself, how can I do that? I'm glad that you asked that question because I'm going to give you the answer. Simply text the word reform to 81411. If you text the word reform, R-E-F-O-R-M, M as in Mary, text the word reform to 81411. That will allow you to be connected with the Reform Alliance family. What does that connection look like? I'm glad that you thought that question because I'm going to answer that as well. We are a policy shop. We are going to be passing very, very introducing, uh, I should say, and, you know, doing our absolute best to pass very, very comprehensive reform laws that is going to tackle and specifically and strategically and intentionally and deliberately target our criminal legal system so that we don't have to have conversations like this. Look, we I was part of a coalition that was able to get more than 16,000 people freed under the Trump administration. We did the impossible. We got more than 16,000 people freed on the federal level uh, through, the, through the First Step Act. And that's approximately uh, 250,000 years of human freedom restored back into our community. And so if we can do that with a little bit. Imagine how much more we can do with the willpower, with the creativity, with the genius, with the soul power of the folks who are listening on this line. And last but not least, I would be remiss if I did not shout out my favorite aunt in all of the world uh, who, who I was texting uh, on the break. I thought I was going to shout her out. Shout out to my aunt Sandy, uh, who is on vacation in Florida, visiting my other aunts, uh, my aunt, uh, all of my mother's sisters. Uh, but that happens to be my favorite aunt. Yes, world, you heard it. I do have a favorite aunt. My mother has uh, eight, eight sisters, and I have a favorite aunt. I appreciate you. Good deal, Mr. Reed. And Mr. Reed, I'd like to extend an invitation through a Just Calls and AJC Radio to offer a platform always to you and your organization. Give our very best to Jay-Z, Mick, Mick, Mick Mills, Mick Mills, excuse me, uh, and all the people that are involved with what you're doing. Uh, and I would like to be in touch offline to share some things with you. I think your perspective and your position and your information that you can add to it, I think, would be very valuable to us, if that'll be okay. Well, look, my grandmama used to say everybody related ain't family and everybody who's family you don't have to be related to. Uh, so you can consider us family from henceforth. 
Okay, Mr. Reed, thank you so much. And, 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 and I, uh, I echo that on this end as well. Uh, as family and, and continue doing what you're doing. And uh, again, we're going to be in touch offline and we're going to go forward with that. Thank you so much uh, for what you've added Appreciate to this conversation. So I, I believe it's been helpful to not only this, this uh, crew here, but also to our listeners around the globe that tune into the show. We'd love to have you back. And I want to definitely talk more about what you guys are doing out there and making effective change. We appreciate it so very much. Appreciate you, man. Grace and peace to you. Have a great, great evening. All right. Take care. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Lewis Reed. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, Samson, your thoughts on, on, on Mr. Reed. I think he added a lot. I think he comes from uh, a situation. If you're not familiar with Meek Mills, what he went through uh, to get out of custody mm-hmm. was, was shameful. And the judge simply would not do it. She used her discretion to keep him locked up. And he continued to fight and to fight and to fight. And it was a judge that had a problem with black rappers, uh, had a problem with what he did in the industry and all those things. And for him and those guys to team up and come together to with one goal in mind, uh, you got to salute that what they're doing out there. No, absolutely. I mean, you can hear like he even mentioned it at the uh, the beginning of his uh, his time with it. He said, uh, "I'm not as." I wasn't as motivated when I was in for 14 years, but you can hear the enthusiasm yeah. in that man's voice. Like he, he is on fire for what he is doing right now. You can tell by by the this, his eloquency when he's presenting, you know, the information when he's talking, when he's conversing, everything that he's doing. He is passionate about what he does. He is passionate about the subject at hand. He is passionate about what's on the table, and he's he's willing. To, I mean, he's wanting to collaborate. He's I mean, he's giving out information. Hey, collaborate with us and let's push this forward. You know, whether it be, hey, send a text here, get with, get up with our organization, we'll get up with you. Like, he knows, he knows, you can tell, he's not just somebody that's, like, speaking off the cuff. He will go and actually look at the truth, the data, and then formulate an opinion and push it out there. We're not just going to go by what you tell us. We're going to go by what we can prove. And that's where he, like, I like where he said is there's a difference between feelings and facts. Go with the facts because you can argue with a person all day long. When I show, when I show you the facts, what are you going to do? It's also, man, I think he offers a lot in what he's doing. Um, the story about the dash cam. Um, yes. We live in different times. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's sad that, I mean, a young man like that, the first thing you have to buy him, though, is a dash cam, to, but it's to protect his life. Well, it's protect, I think, the point that Mr. Reed made, not only to protect his life, but even if he was taken. To preserve a record. That's it. That is a profound statement, but it is a troubling fact in the world in which we live. The fact that he could, even if he's taken in a moment by officers and his life is snuffed out, I need to know what happened when you're gone. To that type of statement and that type of conversation that have to be had. But we are in a troubling time. Go ahead. Well, you know, I mean, what you're touching on is something that we've seen here in the past say, five, ten years, where that is part of the African-American driving lesson. They learn how to operate a vehicle, and then the parents teach them what they need to do to be in compliance if they get pulled over. But because that, they're being stereotyped. They're being 
You know, and, and that's that's sad. It's it's sad. It's the reality because that's what he touched on. He said a 17 year old kid. He just got his permit, got his license, and he says, I am going to protect you. Save your life. Save your life. Yep. So I'm having, as an uncle, he's having that discussion. Yep. Any parent, they have it, the, well, black parent, they're having that discussion with their kids. They are. David. Well, tragic, and, and I was interested, he said, preserve a record. Yes. And courts are about records. We, as the IRP5 experienced, the court was supposed to keep a record of what the judge said to us, and the record disappeared because it implicated the judge and Judge Arguello in, yes. in, in wrongdoing. Um, and one thing, like I said, we appreciate uh, that organization to push legislation is a is a is a huge need. But sadly, we still have to raise awareness in this country about how this criminal justice system actually works. People are deceived, naive, and many other adjectives you can uh, kind of attribute to them. They're just off the reservation. They really are ignorant of how this criminal justice system really works. And so as people become more aware of the cases like George Floyd, even of our case, the IRP6, you have to look behind the look behind the curtain, pull the curtain back and see what is actually going on and you have to actually care about what's going on because the vast majority of cases just do not get public attention attention. and that's sad because uh, the malefactors behind the black robes and the fancy law degrees are continuing to do damage to, to the lives of many of the American people especially the African American community and I said, we all got to work together uh, with uh, Reform Alliance through a just cause and continue to expose what's actually happening in the criminal justice system, not just people just getting killed. There are people being locked up. Uh, The RP5 spent uh, eight years, six to eight years in prison on something that is just outrageous. And we, we, we saw the bias, and I think as we continue this conversation, in the weeks coming to, to make people more aware of, of the abuse of discretion uh, in the criminal justice system and how it's impacting people and not to be, and to just uh, pull back, uh, take the scales off people's eyes of what they, and just try to recondition their minds about what they believe the criminal justice system is. These are the facts. George Floyd was murdered. Mr. Reed said a modern-day lynching and killing of an innocent black man that did not deserve to die. The facts are the IRP-5 suffered loss at the hand of a judge who abused her discretion, Christina Aguayo, in the federal court, 10th Circuit, I believe, is it the 10th Circuit? Yeah, District of Colorado, District which is of in Colorado, the 10th Circuit. Which is in the 10th Circuit. The facts are she abused the bench. The facts are we have more African Americans incarcerated than any other race in the country. The facts are that there are racial disparities in the criminal justice system. The facts are body bags are being filled every day by someone who abused discretion. 
The facts are injustice runs deep in a very big way. The facts are county jails have women inmates handcuffed to beds as they give birth. These are the facts. Facts are broken hearts are everywhere. From families, from mothers, fathers. Facts are some mothers and parents of the incarcerated and the wrongfully incarcerated have died as a result of the stress of injustice that has come to their front door. These are the facts. And they're indisputable. Very special thanks to Lewis Reed, Senior Director of Memberships and Partnerships at Reform Alliance, to all that he has done, and to his organization, to his board of directors, to Jay-Z, to Meek Mills, and all those that combine to make that a reputable and a respected organization. Mr. Reed, we appreciate you and all that you do and all you have done. We will be here next week with part two of this conversation. Uh, we will get more into the RFP5 injustice and the actions of Judge Christine Arguello, federal judge, and the actions of AUSA Matthew Kirsch and all the players that are involved. Until next time, America, be safe. We'll talk to you next time. Good night.